Hey everyone, this is James Wilson with MTB Strength Training Systems and BikeJames.com and welcome to another Bike James podcast. In this podcast, I'm going to share some thoughts on enduro training. And enduro racing is definitely one of the most popular things in mountain biking right now. Uh, definitely one of the most popular forms of racing. Uh, you see it in the, the equipment side of things where people just slap the name enduro on a bike or any piece of equipment and it increases the cool factor. So uh, enduro is definitely the hot thing at the moment, which means that there are a lot of riders out there who are looking for ways to improve their performance for enduro racing. And the thing is, is that you you do have the potential to greatly increase your performance. Like that's really the point of the podcast and a lot of the stuff that I put out there is to inspire you to take control of your own results, that you can become a different rider. You can change your, uh, you know, your performance with the right approach. And so uh, my goal with this is to inspire you to do that by sharing some approaches that I think can uh, can help you do that. And so if you're starting out on your training journey, this will give you a good place to start. Or if you've been training and you just feel like maybe you're not seeing the results that you want, then this podcast should give you some different ideas and directions to, to, to head with your training that will hopefully give you some better results. <clears throat> so getting into it, enduro racing is basically, uh, you know, one to two days of riding and you are timed on three to five uh, time sections usually. These sections can be anywhere from you know as short as five to as long as 15 but usually somewhere in like the 10 minute range give or take is uh, a pretty average distance for these time stages. So enduro racing when you look at it it is scored on those downhill sections and again the I call them downhill sections but they're not you know strictly downhill a lot of the timed sections though are uh, definitely leaning towards the downhill side of things they may have some pedally sections or maybe even an uphill but the vast majority of these timed sections are more of the the downhill style trails and so this is what you're getting scored on, which makes them the most important thing for enduro racing. Now, the thing that makes enduro racing unique, though, is that you have these transfers. And I think this is where things get fuzzy and people start to get confused because you have to ride between the stages and, and you have to you know do these self-transfers, as they're called. And so the transfers are uh, definitely longer. A lot of them involve sustained climbing. And But the thing is, is you're not scored on them. There's no bonus for having the fastest transfer time. And so on some level, the transfers, they don't matter in as much as like they don't count towards your overall score and performance. What you need to do is make sure that you're getting there in a reasonable amount of time. Obviously, you don't want to be taking longer than is allowed and you don't want to uh, be pushing hard like that's really as I, as I get into this more like that's really kind of one of the secrets to being a successful enduro racer is knowing where to put your energy into and where to save your energy and the transfers are one of these things that you really want to practice and focus on how to save your energy on them 
um, instead of learn how to, uh, you know, ride them faster. And so anyways, the, this is why you see that a lot of the top enduro racers come from a downhill background. Uh, in fact, you see very few people from a, a strictly cross country background, uh, having success, especially at like the Enduro World Series level and, and some of the higher level Enduros. And so the the reason for this is that people with a downhill background, <clears throat> the, the Enduro racing is actually slower than their normal pace. So these time sections that they're that you're being scored on, the pace of those is slower than a downhill race. And so for a downhiller, like I said, this is actually a slower thing. Whereas for a cross country racer, it's faster. It's a much faster pace than what they're used to. And the reality is, is that it's easier to train slower for longer, like to train slower than your normal pace and, and to, uh, you know, work on your, um, sustaining that slower pace. That's easier than it is to increase your speed and then work on your ability to maintain that increased speed. So you can see, why people from these different backgrounds have uh, much different levels of success because the types of fitness, the types of pacing development strategies, a lot of the things that go into being successful as a downhill uh, racer lend themselves better towards enduro racing than the things that go into being a successful cross-country racer. Uh, But again, a lot of people get confused because this, you know, because enduro racing on the surface, it can kind of look like a cross-country ride because you're covering so much distance. You are out there for so long, but again, the strategy is much, much different uh, when you're trying to maintain a consistently fast pace over that distance versus having these wildly varied paces of slow and very fast paces. And so, uh, but again, like the um, the you can probably tell that the type of training program that you should follow if downhill racers and people with that type of background have more success transferring over to enduro than people from a cross country background, then it would seem to stand to reason that a program for downhillers would be closer to what you would want for an enduro racer than a program for a cross country racer. But uh, unfortunately that's not what you see with a lot of these, uh, with a lot of the programs and a lot of the approaches that people are taking towards their enduro racing. And so, uh, because again, it's, it's an endurance sport. So we want to train like, you know, cross country rider and that's not necessarily what's going on. So, like I said, the big mistake that riders are making is they're training like, uh, enduro racing is an endurance event, but the, it's really not a classical endurance event. You, you have to learn how to emphasize where the points are scored, which are the shorter downhill style sections. So in, in downhill, you know, I've, I've spent quite a bit of time myself working with downhill riders at, at you know, many different levels, including the highest, you know, at World Cup levels. Uh, there's actually some studies that have been done on mountain bikers and some particularly on downhill racers. And so there are things that you can point to that say, look, these are factors in your success as a downhill racer. <clears throat> and two of those things are your strength to weight ratio and your technical skills. 
another thing that this, that's tied into you know your strength to weight ratio on some level is actually your grip strength endurance. There was one study that found that grip strength endurance had a strong correlation to performance in downhill racing. And so, you know, these things, the strength to weight ratio, your technical skills, and that grip strength endurance, these are things that both uh, experience and uh, science has shown are determining factors in your success as a downhiller. Uh, things like VO2 max and, and some of the classical cardio uh, measurements and things they're not. They've again. They've looked at them and found that your VO2 max is in no way a predictor of how you're going to finish a downhill race, whereas your grip strength endurance is, right? And so you can again start to see how uh, approaching uh, enduro racing and training for that as a classical endurance sport, where you're trying to focus on VO2 max. Uh, may not necessarily be the right approach because that's not where you're getting scored on things, right? So it means that the you're building your strength-to-weight ratio, building your technical skills, building that grip strength endurance. These are things that need to be emphasized in your training if you want to be a successful enduro racer as well. Now, again, it's not downhill racing, right? So we do need to make some modifications uh, to the program to get the best out of it. But if I was to go pick a program if I had to pick a program for a cross-country racer or a program for a downhill racer and I was an enduro racer I would pick the downhill racer program I'm just trying to point out that on that spectrum of things are your enduro racing program should be closer to what you would see a downhiller doing not closer to what you would see a cross-country rider so again Think more Aaron Gwynn and less Nino Schurter, you know, type uh, types of training. And so, um, but anyways, so the uh, the point is here that that's what you need to emphasize. So endure your the specific fitness that you need for enduro racing includes having the anaerobic engine to ride as fast as possible on the time stages while being aerobically fit enough to ride the transfers with minimal impact on that anaerobic energy system. So again, what this means is, is if you're going to be a good enduro racer, you're going to have the engine that you need to ride as fast as possible on the time sections because that's where you're going to get scored. So if, you have, if you're riding as fast as possible there, you're going to have your best score, your best performance possible. But you also do need that aerobic engine. Because unlike, you know, a downhill racer, like one, they are doing one uh, uh, run and it's usually shorter and they're not having to do a self-transfer. So even though you're needing that anaerobic engine, there is still a demand for the aerobic energy system and particularly on those transfer stages. But what you're looking for is you just need to be just aerobically fit enough. And this is what where people get like, I think, lost is that, you know, you need a minimal amount of aerobic fitness and no more. And any time and energy that you're spending towards building that additional aerobic fitness, especially if you're taking away from time working on your skills, working on your strength to weight ratio, working on these things that will have a more direct impact on your performance where it counts the most, you're wasting your time. 
you know, it's just like there, there's a, a minimal amount of strength you need in the deadlift, for example, you know, like, you know, one and a half to two times body weight deadlift. And, and that, that's all that you need. And any more time and energy spent getting stronger than that can be taken away from the time that you should be spending on other things. And so, again, this is where I see a lot of enduro racers getting lost is that they don't understand this concept of minimal aerobic fitness necessary. And that's what you want. You want to be just fit enough to get through the transfer stages in a reasonable amount of time and not have to be redlining on the way there so that you're taxing your anaerobic energy system and, and you're showing up to the next stage uh, you know, behind the eight ball, so to speak. You don't want to show up fatigued. The whole goal is to do each time stage with as little residual fatigue as possible from the previous stage and from the transfer. That's what's going to give you your best performance on that time stage, which is where you're getting scored. And so again, that comes from this minimal aerobic fitness necessary to get through the transfers in a reasonable amount of time and not have it taxing your uh, you know, your other, your anaerobic energy system, basically adding to your fatigue. So again, if you don't have this minimal amount of aerobic fitness, then it's, you're going to be digging too deep on the transfers to get from one stage to the next, which means that you're going to be showing up with this fatigue and that's not what you want, but you don't want to take it too far. I think, again, people experience this. They have their first enduro race or whatever, and they experience this residual fatigue building but on the transfer stages because of this. There's a lot of things going on, right? But uh, one of the things, maybe they don't have that minimal aerobic fitness left or necessary yet. <clears throat> and so they start thinking, well, this is what I need to work on. So people take it too far and they take their aerobic fitness actually too far and they start to take away from their their time and their body's resources for improving these other areas. And so, um, again, hopefully this makes sense. I'm trying to hammer this point home because this is definitely the biggest mistake that I see people making is emphasizing that aerobic engine uh, rather than understanding you need a minimal amount of aerobic fitness. And then any more than that, you're going to be wasting your time. So uh, anyways, in the gym, what this means, what does it mean for your training, right? Uh, so in the gym, this includes getting stronger and more mobile. Okay, I mean, it seems um, self-evident, but you need to improve your strength-to-weight ratio and your movement efficiency because, again, these are the things behind your performance on these timed sections and also uh you know behind your 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 skills um so your movement efficiency is directly related to your your skills so you need to be doing two to three days a week of strength training and five to seven days a week of mobility work and this can be as little as 10 minutes a day with the mobility work all right so i'm a much bigger believer or i'm a big believer in the value of doing a little bit of mobility work on a very consistent basis versus doing a few longer mobility sessions each week. So rather than doing like one to two yoga classes or, or you know, extended uh, stretching sessions a week and then nothing else on the other days, I'd rather see you do 10 minutes a day all seven days. I, it, you know, in my experience, you're going to get, <clears throat> excuse me, better results in the long run from that approach than from 
uh, you know, like I said, the, the less consistent, longer sessions. Um, so as far as strength training goes, to get stronger and improve your strength to weight ratio, the two things that I'm currently using a lot myself and using with my clients are ramping isometrics, which is something I've you know written a lot about and you know have my new program out based on that. But ramping isometrics are perfect for increasing your strength to weight ratio because the signal that you're sending your muscles uh, it's it's not the same as lifting weights, right? So you're working on your ability to create tension but you're doing it in a way that isn't causing the same type of damage to the muscle fibers that is one of the signals for muscle growth. And so you're able to increase your strength without signaling the body to also increase size. And that is one of the, the tough things with lifting weights is that you're, it, it is, uh, if you don't do it correctly, then you, you know you lift like a bodybuilder then you can add more size than you do strength and that will actually take away from your performance so um, ramping isometrics uh, are great for improving that strength to weight ratio and then also using tools like the heavy indian clubs and the steel mace uh, are really great for working on the movement efficiency side of things and and also the uh, uh, stability and, and just working on the the the, the stability of your overall system which is really important on the bike as well so i'll mix in some traditional movements you know like your deadlifts and your chin-ups and your push-ups and things like that uh, you know I, I definitely do those but i use those for variety and just through my own experience i found that using them to get quote-unquote stronger usually led to getting hurt or you know being sore and having that take away from my my riding and other training stuff and so uh for me right now the the using the ramping isometrics and the indian club and steel mace stuff uh while mixing in some of the traditional stuff and not taking it you know to the limit um in an effort to get stronger is the best mix for me at the moment like i said the the clients that i've been working with have been having success with that as well so that handles kind of the strength training side um again this is a lot of the stuff that i preach man you need to be getting stronger like mountain biking is such a different uh animal in general than road cycling the the demands the energy system demands the strength demands the positional demands and movement demands all of these things are so different than your classic endurance sport like road cycling and then you take it to the next level with endur enduro racing where you're getting scored on you know the extreme end of that uh <clears throat> then you see where your strength and mobility training are a must they're not an option for an endurance racer you have to be doing this stuff if you want to be successful on any level uh as an enduro racer so uh but the next part of it and and sure a lot of people are wondering okay well what about the cardio training side of it well for me cardio training starts with breathing and again this is the big mistake that i see a lot of riders make is when they are doing their cardio training they're not paying attention to their breathing and so they don't really understand that cardio training is just breath work it's just breath training because again you're training your body to do like you know what what you do in practice is what you're going to do on the trail and so if you have bad breathing habits when you're doing your cardio workouts i guarantee you you're going to have bad breathing habits out on the trail when things get hard so make sure you're training your breathing. This is like the number one piece of advice that I can give you because that's going to 
just go so far towards making you more efficient and making sure that you are not uh, overly taxing yourself, um, especially on the transfer stages. Your, your breathing is so important on those things. And this also ties into what I call my domino theory, that when you're looking at the factors that lead to fatigue and uh, decrease in performance and eventually failure um, on the trail where you're just like you hit the wall, right? So the, the wall, when people hit the wall, they really start to feel it. They're, they're, it's usually that cardio system that is burning, right? They're breathing hard, their muscles are burning and they, they just can't go anymore. And so they, uh, and you know, you got, you got to slow down or, or quit. And that's the, the thing that you notice. But while that's the last thing that you noticed, there were other things that went out before just everything fell apart. And your breathing is one of those. Your breathing went to crap before your body started to feel like crap. And so your body falling apart is that last domino that falls. That first domino that falls is your breathing, right? And we've all seen it. You set up like, you know, a bunch of dominoes in a row. That first domino falls and it knocks down the rest and eventually the last domino falls. And so the, but if that first domino doesn't fall, then the last domino can't fall, right? And so if you keep your breathing under control and you keep your breathing where it needs to be, it's going to be really hard for your body to break down like it does uh, when your breathing's out of control. And so your ability to focus on and maintain this first domino, so to speak, to strengthen it is a huge component in your overall cardio uh, fitness or whatever you want to call it because um, your breathing went before everything else went right your breathing goes and then your posture starts to go and you know then things it just like i said you can see it uh things start to fall apart well before you finally hit that wall and so um so anyways my point is 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 the heart of cardio training whatever you're doing needs to be working on your breathing and making sure you're trying to strengthen that first domino as a main strategy for your cardio training. Now, with all that said, here's the thing. The best cardio training you can do is trail riding. Okay. The, you're not going to become a better enduro racer in the gym or on a trainer. It only happens on the trail. Now you need some of those other things to give you the tools to, to your, the potential to, that you put to use on the trail. But Without getting on the trail and riding, like it's never, it's always going to be potential. So you always, that's the only place that you're going to become a better rider is on the trail. And so your cardio training should be on the trail. It should be trail riding as much as possible because that's the only thing that's going to really simulate all of the demands that riding the trail does, right? Like riding the trail is not sitting on a trainer spinning your legs for an extended period of time like that's not how we ride on the trail and so you're the trail's the only thing that simulates the trail right so anyways um what what i see is a lot of riders uh wasting their precious training time especially on the trail by just going for a ride and calling it training like okay i'm going for a ride and it's that that's my my training it's like no Training must reflect what you're training for, 
right? And that's not a normal trail ride. Like a, a normal trail ride is more like a cross country race where you're trying to sustain a, 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 you know, moderately fast pace over an extended period of time. So that tends to be how most people ride trails. And so if you're training for enduro racing, though, that can't be how you approach your trail rides, especially for training, right? Like you can have your fun rides, going out with your friends, you know, on a group ride, having a fun ride, that's fine. Like nobody wants to hang out with the dude that turns every single ride into a training ride. But if you're going out and you're saying, okay, I'm doing my cardio training and I'm going to go for a training ride, then it should fall into one of these two categories. The, the first one is a moderate skills focused ride. And these are rides where you're focusing on riding as smoothly as possible instead of trying to go hard and fast. So it's actually like the opposite. Like you're not trying to see how fast you can go. They are a opportunity for you to see how smooth you can be. In fact, I like to play a game like how fast can I go with as few pedal strokes as possible, right? When you take away using pedal strokes to kind of make up for uh, technique errors and, you know, just misjudging the trail where you could have, you know, picked up speed over a little hump or something like that. There's so many opportunities for free speed on the trail that we miss because we're just trying to look for the next opportunity to pedal. And you, you miss a lot of stuff that way. In fact, when you look at the best riders across the board, I mean, in road riding, uh, mountain biking, uh, they, they're actually the best riders are the ones that pedal the least. So the by working on that skill and mindset of looking for free speed and really trying to maximize your efficiency through your skills is going to uh, greatly, greatly improve a huge part of your your overall performance, which, like I said, is your, your technical skills and just your movement efficiency. Because, again, if you're able to maintain speed better, if you're wasting less energy, I mean, all of these things are, are just huge factors towards your, your performance. So uh, you're, it's also a great chance to pick a specific skill and focus on it. So everyone knows that they have something that they need to work on and so if you don't have specific rides and again this isn't going to happen in a parking lot right like you don't learn to corner in a parking lot doing cornering drills you learn to corner on the trail you can you know definitely learn some things and improve your potential to corner better through some drills which you know again i I encourage and, and have people do but don't fool yourself. You're not going to learn to corner better that way. You need to get out on the trail and have a specific times where you are focusing on cornering. And again, not just cornering in general, but having specific things that you've identified that you need to work on. And then this is your focus. And so it's, it's understanding how to have the right mental focus that really goes a long way. And so instead of just mindlessly going out and just riding hard, uh, going out with some real intention and focus uh, behind improving your skills and your flow and your efficiency will really help. And so uh, I suggest you get in two to three of these rides a week again, because these are moderate rides. These shouldn't be super hard on your body. They shouldn't leave you feeling super beat up and you should be able to do a few of them a week. Um, and then you know, once a week, you know, if you're an older rider, to be honest with you, you could probably get away with doing one of these every 10 days or so, every week and a half. Uh, but you should have some sort of hard race simulation ride. 
And these should reflect how you race, which includes transfers with climbs followed by time sections that are uh, mostly downhill. So you're, you're just trying to mimic the basic length. You don't want to, this isn't rocket science, right? Like we don't have to overthink this, but you're just looking at like, what is the average length of the transfer stages? And what is the average length of my, my time stages? And then you just need to figure out some way to recreate that as best as possible with the, 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 the terrain and the tools and stuff that you have to do that. And, you know, your, your focus is to be on the transfer stages. You need to be keeping your breathing under control. Don't let yourself redline. Like when you start panting really hard, you're anaerobic at that point. When you pass that ventilatory threshold, basically, like this is the thing you need to be, get tuned into your body and how you're feeling. And so that ventilatory threshold corresponds with your anaerobic threshold, which means that when you're starting to pant, you are going anaerobic, which means that you are burning that energy that you need for the tra- for the time stages. You're also creating residual fatigue. You know your body is going to have to deal with the metabolic byproducts of doing that, and that's going to take energy and time to do that. And so you need to become aware of when you are starting to redline. You're starting to go into that anaerobic uh, zone and avoid it don't do it keep your breathing under control and honestly if you need to get off and walk do that like one of the hallmarks of a great athlete is not giving a shit what people think about them from the outside right like if they know that they need to keep their heart rate in a certain zone then they will do that if then that includes taking it extremely easy walking Right, and someone from the sidelines watching, going like, "What is this guy doing? You know, this lazy dude walking his bike." Man, honestly, great athletes don't give a crap. They're like, "Man, I got a strategy. I know what I'm doing. I cannot redline. I need to keep my heart rate under control. If I don't, it's going to cost me from this point forward. And so I'm going to follow my strategy, which is to keep my breathing under control, avoid." going into those red line efforts as much as possible and just working on fueling this with an anaerobic, my anaerobic engine or my, I mean, my aerobic engine as much as possible, my anaerobic as little as possible. And, you know, just trying to not to accumulate residual fatigue. Like that's such a huge, huge part of this. And so, um, like I said, if that includes having to get off and walk, do that. Don't, don't let your ego get in the way of your performance right? It's, it's ridiculous. So, um, but anyway, so you want to, uh, <clears throat> when you, you need to have your time sections, right? Or of a stage. Um, you want to, if you need to rest before you do it, this is another thing. Like you'll see a lot of the top enduro racers, they get to the stage, the next stage and they rest. They're not getting there and going like, okay, let's go. And again, they understand that residual fatigue is the enemy. If you, you know, rest, get rid of some of that residual fatigue and then do your time stage. And again, you're trying to train your body and your mind to get ready for the strategies and paces and stuff that you want to be using when you race. So that when you race, it's not like this foreign thing that you're like, well, I never do this. You know, it's like, well, that should be training. Like you're, when you race, your body and in mind should be like, okay, well, you know, this is different on some level, but this is similar to what we've done before. So it's not completely foreign. 
And so the, uh, you know, developing that strategy during these hard race simulation rides is, is really important. Um, so you want to ride hard, you just have some easy and hard sections, right? So you have your easy sections and then you have your hard sections. Now, if you're really limited, you don't have a lot of trail available to you. This may include lapping the same section, uh, a few times, but again, that's training, not going out for a fun ride. So training isn't always fun. But being successful is fun. And if you're going to be successful, you're going to have to train. So was it uh, type two fun? I don't know. It's this thing I've heard recently. Like type one fun is like you have fun in the moment, but uh, afterwards you don't necessarily enjoy it. So like, you know, eating a piece of cake uh, and then feeling guilty afterwards. Um, Type two fun is it kind of sucks in the moment, but you have fun and, and get some joy out of it afterwards. And so like, you know, training is one of those things like training the, while you're doing it. Yeah. There's moments where it's, it, you know, you enjoy it, but a lot of it isn't necessarily fun, but what is fun is afterwards when you're enjoying the results from that. And so, uh, but anyways, it's too many people today just focus on that type one fun, like what's fun in the moment and if it's not fun in the moment, I don't want to do it versus understanding there's other types of fun that, you know, future fun. And you're cheating yourself out of future fun by not doing some of these things. Um, but like I said, these hard race simulation rides kind of fall into that category where you're, like I said, it may not necessarily be fun at the moment. But when you're doing better in your races because your body and your mind are way better prepared for this, then you're going to enjoy that. So uh, to round things out. You can have some easy rides. Uh, I really encourage instead of riding, doing things like walking or jogging because it helps you maintain or keep your uh, effort level low. Because again, the, the the hard thing with mountain biking is sometimes the, the trail just demands a certain effort level. And if you're supposed to have an easy ride and you get too many of those high demand effort levels, um, it's no longer an easy ride. And now you're creating something for your body to have to recover from, which is not the point of an easy ride or an easy day. So, you know, I encourage my riders to get off the bike actually, and, you know, get a run in or a walk. Uh, but if you are going to ride, maybe go for a road ride on your mountain bike. There's no, you want to keep your body and your brain used to that position and, and your bike, uh, and, or if, you know, if you have access to a legitimately easy loop, uh, trail loop, then that's fine as well. But you just, you cannot be going redlining. You, you have to be avoiding even going close to those efforts. If you're going to call it an easy ride, another good thing to do is to work on your skills drills. Um, so again, I was mentioning that even though skills drills aren't going to make you a better rider, they are going to improve your potential to be a better rider. And so there, is, you do want to have, uh, some skills drills that you're working on to help with specific, things that you've identified that you need to work on, um, that'll reinforce when you get on the trail, the, the, and you're working on it to help you apply those things. And so, uh, that kind of rounds it out. You want your moderate skills, focused rides your your hard race simulation rides and your easy rides or days, if you want to call it that. And, um, so yeah, that's kind of the, the flow that you're going to have. If you can't ride and you do need to do some quote unquote cardio training, then one thing I would encourage you to do is don't forget about your upper body cardio and your grip strength endurance. So you need some, <clears throat> excuse me, some cardio strength training 
things like uh, combo drills, like I have in my um, DB combos program, or uh, mace flows, or or Indian club flows. Uh, so some things that, that are working on your grip strength and your upper body endurance. And this is one of the downfalls. This is why I, I really encourage people to trail ride as much as possible for their cardio training because trail riding has that demand of the upper and lower body. And and it's such a huge thing. We, we really forget about and disrespect the importance of upper body cardio that they're not the same thing, right? Like, so just being on a trainer, working your legs, yeah, you're breathing hard, but you're not working on the, you're working on your lower body cardio, basically, with very little upper body involvement. And so you're not getting any adaptations from the upper body that are going to help it improve its endurance as well. And so, uh, again, if you're, if you can't get out and ride and you need to do, like say like normal cardio training, then you have to also have something in your program that is addressing this upper body cardio component um, or else you're going to have a very incomplete fitness level when you do get back out on the trail. And you're going to find that one of the key components, your grip strength endurance especially, uh, is not where it needs to be. You're going to have great cardio in your legs, but your grip strength endurance isn't going to be there and like I said, these are one of the, the grip strength endurance has a direct effect on how you're going to perform where it counts the most. So uh, you have to make sure that you're, you're working on this as well if, as part of your cardio training. So, um, you know, like I mentioned at the beginning, the, you want to watch out for programs that treat you like a roadie or a cross-country rider uh, with lots of long, sustained effort rides. If it doesn't seem to reflect the realities of endurance, enduro racing, and you know whoever you got the program from can't give you a really, really good, compelling reason why not, then odds are they're just trying to fit a square peg into a round hole, right? And this is a huge problem in the cycling coaching community is people not understanding the unique demands of mountain biking, of the different disciplines of mountain biking, and so much of cycling is really just a code word for road riding and so you end up with these programs that are influenced strongly by sports and and niches within our sport that don't really apply to what we're doing and so uh like i was mentioning earlier on that spectrum of things if you're going to tell me man here's a program for a cross-country racer and here's a program for a downhill racer you know which one are you going to choose as an enduro racer i'd rather just take the cookie cutter a downhill racer approach and throw in some longer trail rides to work on my uh on my longer you know my aerobic engine rather than take the cross country cookie cutter program and you know come in to the season you know come out of it weak and with my you know the wrong fitness in the wrong areas it's just it doesn't work uh when you take that approach and so um you know I wish I had something more specific like the reality is what you need is going to vary a little bit. Now there are some, you know, some general things, but for example, if you need to get faster, like if you're just not fast enough right now and you're like, man, I need to get faster. Like that's a different approach than if you're like, man, I'm fast enough. I just need to learn how to sustain it. 
right? So, you know, if maybe you're not even hitting the times that you need on one stage to, uh, you know, to, to be where you want to be. I mean, you just need to focus on getting faster. But if you're able to hit those times, but you're fading, you know, then that, then, oh, well, now I need to learn to sustain that. So these are two different things. And these are going to take two slightly different approaches to, uh, you know, filling in those gaps and, and working on your weak links. And so that's why there's not necessarily a, a cookie cutter approach for, you know, here's an enduro training cardio program. It's like, well, what is your strengths and weaknesses? And then we've designed something to help fill in those gaps. Um, although, like I said, like there's a lot of it, 80 plus percent of it's going to be the same. There's a lot of general, general stuff that's going to apply, but, um, the specific, you know, when you really get into the specifics, that's why it's, you know, hard to say, here's exactly what you need to do. But in general, man, if you focused on getting stronger and more mobile, if you uh, focused on improving your skills through skills drills and your moderate skills focus rides, you were getting out, you know, once every week and a half for, you know, some sort of enduro racing simulation uh, day or, you know, ride, whatever you want to call it. Um, man, if you were just doing that, you would do really well. Uh, you know, enduro racing doesn't have to be rocket science, but you, you do need to apply some critical thinking to it. And I feel like that's kind of what's been lacking in some areas is just this sitting back and like, Hey man, let's just apply some critical thinking to what we're doing. Like maybe what we're doing is right. Maybe it's not the best approach. I don't know. Let's just take a look at it and, and see what, see what we come up with. And so just looking at it from a critical thinking approach, like this is, this is the way that I see uh, enduro racing. This is the way that I see what makes a successful enduro racer. And like I said, you know, what has helped some of the people that I've worked with and, you know, just, you know, seeing them come in, seeing a lot of the common mistakes that they were making. Um, I know this is probably some things that other people are, are working on too. So remember, you've got what it takes to be successful already. Right with the right training program and the right approach, you can unleash that potential. So again, the 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 point of this is to try and inspire you to do that. But you want to make sure that you're taking the right approach because nothing can be more frustrating than spending time, energy, effort, some you know money, all these things on an approach, and then finding out you know several months down the road, man, this is just not getting me the results that I was looking for. And so, uh, you know, if you can avoid getting started off on the wrong foot in the first place, that's great. Uh, you know, if you find yourself off on the wrong foot and you need to make a change, then, you know, like I said, hopefully some of the things that we I talked about in this podcast can, can help get you in a, in a different direction. But, um, yeah, getting stronger, getting more mobile, uh, improving your breathing, improving your technical skills, and then, you know, working on simulating the realities of, of enduro racing, you know, once a week to 10 days, you know, that's, that's what it's about, man. I mean, you know, it's no coincidence. I just want to point out, like, it's no coincidence that the best mountain bikers tend to come from the places that have the best mountain biking. And it's because they get to ride all the time and they get to ride more than most people. They get to ride a wider variety of trails. And, and so, you know, uh, again, like you, you, you have to get out and ride. Um, it's the only place you're going to become a better mountain biker in general, a better enduro racer specifically. And, uh, 
yeah, but doing some of these other things to give you the tools to get the most out of that time is that, you know, the, the yin and the yang, right? Like you're not going to become a better rider in the gym uh, or doing skills drills, but without those things, you limit your potential that you can apply when you're on the trail and you are improving and becoming uh, a better rider. So um, balancing these two things in the right way is what we're looking for. But anyways, hopefully, like I said, this gives you guys some things to think about. If you have any questions on this podcast or you know just training in general, uh, feel free to hit me up at james at bikejames.com. Um, at bikejames.com, you can find a bunch of free workouts and other uh, good info to help get you started on the right path or you know just give you some different ways of looking at improving your performance through strength and mobility training and also good cardio training you know stuff like upper body cardio something that most mountain bikers just don't think about and work on but is such a huge part of what we do on the trail so um so anyways i guess that's going to uh wrap it up here that does it for my notes and so uh yeah hopefully you guys have enjoyed this podcast and i will talk to everybody next time